I've never told this story to anyone. It took me a moment or two to realise what I'd just agreed to. The first mistake that I ever made in my life. She said, I'm leaving room now, I'm coming to meet you. The memory lasted forever. Wanted young dynamic people to join our dog sledding family. All I know is that. It was like a shockwave going through my body. You're listening to the second podcast season from Spun, a live storytelling night in the capital city of Australia's Northern Territory, Darwin. Now we're back for another season, so get yourself comfortable as we'll be taking you all over the Northern Territory with extraordinary stories from everyday people up here. My name's Jess Ong, and after a whirlwind season one, it's great to be back. Richard Fijo is a saltwater man born and raised in Darwin. His dad's family are Larrakia people, and his mum comes from the Warramunga country down near Tennant Creek. It's about 990 kilometres south of Darwin. Just a note, Richard makes a number of geographical references throughout his story, so if you want to get a sense of the distance and scale, I really recommend jumping onto Google Maps. My story starts with my mum's story. My mum was born south of Tanner Creek, a little place called Namarini under a bush. She was a part of the stolen generation. She grew up in an environment around her people and she was actually removed when she was four. And I'd been to a place, a little creek bed that had run dry and we could actually see on the riverbed where they had dug out the, the clay where they would hide the children because they would have the policeman looking for the half-caste children. They would also have black trackers helping to find the children. This one day, Mum felt a bit unfortunate and uh, one of the black trackers found her and she was taken away from her family, her language, her culture, um, pretty much everything she knew. She was removed from the Tennant Creek region her Warramunga home, and she was placed on Croker Island. Now, around that time, there was approximately 1,400 children placed in different um, compounds across the top end of Darwin and Northern Territory regions. But um, Mum stayed there on Croker Island with all the kids that was there with her until basically Darwin was bombed. And when Darwin was bombed, they had to evacuate the top end of the Northern Territory. And so they got all the kids from Croker Island and they put them on a boat and they sailed around the coast inland and they went up the river and went to Owen Pelly. And from Owen Pelly, they actually walked all these children from Owen Pelly, they walked through the bushland to Pine Creek. And from Pine Creek, they were put on army trucks and they were driven from Pine Creek down to Alice Springs. And then from Alice Springs, they were put on a train and they were taken from Alice Springs all the way to Adelaide. And from Adelaide, they was dispersed throughout the southeast states. And mum ended up going to Wollongong where she kept up with her education and she returned a few years later as a teacher in Darwin. She met my father and I'm the last of seven children. Jumping forward a little bit, when I was about seven years old, one of mum's brothers 
Mum never got to see her family again for that whole time, but one of her brothers was up in Darwin and bumped into her and he recognised her and he, he went up and he said to my mum that her family had relocated to a little place called Elliot. This was great news for us because although we grew up in Darwin, we knew what it was like to be Larrakia. We we could see my father and my uncles and the respect that was given to them. You know, I would see them as a child doing welcome to countries and I couldn't wait to do that myself. But I didn't really know what it was to be Wurramungu on mum's side. I felt part of my identity was missing. Here was the opportunity for us to regain our Wurramungu identity so that we could become whole again. When I was about seven, we actually jumped in the back of our old station wagon and we drove from Darwin all the way down to Tennant Creek. And I remember arriving in this place, Tennant Creek, and seeing a lot of despair. There were camp dogs with no hair. There were people camped outside um, under corrugated iron humpies. There was children walking around with gunk coming out of their eyes, nose and ears, and there was a lot of poverty. And the first thing I said to Dad was, take me home. And Dad wasn't about to do that <laughs> after driving all the way down there. <laughs> and so um, we ended up staying um, in this little place, Elliot, at my uncle's house. And when we drove into his yard, the house was actually on the right-hand side of the driveway. So we drove up and you go in the front door and we had a back bedroom there. And what I had learned out of going to this place was that when we're put into new environments, we immerse. So I started hanging around with my cousins and learning about who was who in the community um, and learning a bit of language words. And I started to immerse into this different environment. A lot of learning was done and a lot of new relationships came about. But I remember one day I was sitting at, at Uncle's house and Uncle came home and called Mum out and Uncle talked to Mum and said, you have to come with me, there's someone who wants to meet you. And being seven years old, I I wanted to go with Mum. And Mum said, no, you have to stay at home with the other kids. I remember being in the back room and I was looking through the louvers and I was watching the car leave and I I was feeling really bad because I was worried about Mum and, you know, I was a little bit upset. When Mum came back, you know, a couple of hours later, Mum was a little bit difference. There was something that happened and she was a little bit quiet, you know. Um, They wouldn't let me know what was happening. I was too young to understand any of that. Coming back to Darwin and skipping forward a few more years, I started working for the Aboriginal Legal Service in Darwin and I remember one day we went out to one of the communities. I don't like the same names but we was working in the courthouse that day and we was going through the regular routine that you do with the courthouses and you know, um, adjournments and, you know, all that kind of bizarre. And at the end of the day, someone came running into the courthouse and they said, the Prime Minister is going to apologise tomorrow to all the Aboriginal people. And we said, oh, that'll be interesting to see. <laughs> um, so I actually asked the lawyer if, if the lawyer that travelled out there with me was going to watch it, and she was like, nah. And I was like, oh, you know. 
Then the magistrate came up to me and said, oh, Richie, you can watch it over at my units if you want, because they were the lawyers and the magistrate. They got the flash accommodation, you know. Um, I was in the workers' section, then we had shared showers, shared bathrooms, shared kitchen, you know, and no TV. And so I was thinking, oh, OK, well, at least I can go the next day with the magistrate and um, go and watch this apology, which was a really big thing. But when I went back to the workers' accommodation, there was a bit of a buzz going around, a bit of excitement amongst the workers, and they were all saying that the council is bringing out a big screen TV and they're putting on a breakfast, bacon and eggs on toast and all that, and they invited everyone to come along from the community so they could watch this event. I said, you know what? I'm going to go and tell that magistrate. I'm not going to tell that lawyer. <laughs> Forget about it. But um, I'll go back and I'll tell that magistrate and I'll invite her to come along with me. So the next morning I got up and I went to the magistrate's accommodation and we made our way to the council office and there was a big buzz there. Lot, lots of people there from the community and kids running around, dogs running around and you know, everyone sitting down. And at the end, when everyone had to feed, we actually went up and we got our bacon and eggs on toast and a drink and we're sitting down. And they turn on the TV, you know, everyone's just chattering amongst themselves. I don't think anyone actually grasps the importance of what was about to happen, but when they came out and they turned on the TV, they turned up the volume really loud and everyone's sitting there, shh, oh, your kids, hey, your kids, shut up, shut up, you mob. Go over there, go on, get, take them camp dogs with you, you know? <laughs> and so when the show actually started, you could drop the pin there because... Everybody was just so focused on what was going on on the television and everybody could hear every word, you know, and we were sitting there, we were watching it, just fascinated what was being said. And the Prime Minister starts telling this story, Kevin Rudd, about a woman who had been taken away from her mother and her family. Many years later, she went back to her community. And I was thinking to myself, that sounds a bit like mum. I was thinking, nah. So I just sat back, kept listening. And then he said, when she went back to her community, someone came and picked her up and they drove off in this car and they went to this house where an old man was. When he saw her, he recognised her and he started crying. So I'm just listening to the Prime Minister telling the story. I'm, oh, I'm sure this story, you know, it's kind of funny, you know. It was, <laughs> something going on here, you know. And then he says, the old man went up and he, he was crying and she forgave him. And I thought, well, that's a good fitting story to tell for an apology, you know. And, and it was interesting. And me and the magistrates sitting next to each other, and I think that was a very proud day. Everyone had a tear in their eye, you know. There was a lot of emotion, a lot of pride going out on that community where I was. So I'm sitting there having my sandwich. And then the Prime Minister said three words that just made me freeze. It was like a shockwave going through my body. He said, Nana Nangala Fijo. I thought I was hearing something. And then he said it again, Nana Nangala Fijo. And the magistrate looked at me. She goes, do you know that woman? <laughs> and I looked at the magistrate and I said, that's my mum. The magistrate just started bawling her eyes out. <laughs> I think everyone had a tear in their eyes that day, but me and the magistrate, we were... <laughs> When it came to a close, everyone had kind of 
you know, recovered and caught their breath back and the emotions were leveling out. And me and this magistrate still sitting there, you know, <laughs> and everyone starts looking at us, you know. The um, magistrate points at me and looks at everyone and says, this boy here, they're talking about his mother on TV. I was just blown away by the whole thing. It was mum's story, and the old man that she went and visited, it took me back to remembering watching her driving down the driveway, heading out. The old man was actually one of the black trackers who took her when she was four years old, and he was still alive. And so when mum came that day, you know, he asked to see her, and so she actually went and visited him, and when he again, when he recognised her, he started crying. She gave him a big hug and she forgave him. And that's why Mum's story, Nana Nangala Fijo, was used in the original apology given by Kevin Rudd. Even though the story starts a long time ago and it finished a long time afterwards, that story had come full circle. I felt really blessed to be a part of that story. It was just an incredible part to be working in that community. I had newspapers ringing me up and media and stuff and they wanted to interview me. And I was a no, nah, not my day, it's mum's day. Let her have her day. What a moment for Indigenous Australians and particularly for Richard and his family. Richard told his story at our event in 2016 at Gamalong Festival, which is an Indigenous festival up here in Darwin. Richard now works as a senior cultural educator at the Northern Territory General Practice Education. Now, just a bit of background about Spun. The idea for Spun came to life on a sweaty Darwin day a few years ago. Our first event in March 2015 saw the audience crammed into and spilling out of the venue. And it was when we saw this that we knew there was a massive itch for true personal stories told live. So hang about and we'll take you into the wild and wondrous backyards of the Northern Territory. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Lajlo Hassani, story production by Johanna Bell, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening. <laughs>